Hey, let's start the show for Thursday, December 26th, 2019. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of testit.com. This is only a test. Welcome to what we promised to be the final episode of our podcast this year, of this decade, if you want to count decades this way. I'm Norm, and along with me via the magic of the internet and Skype, it is Jeremy Williams. Hi, Norman. I don't know where you are relative to me in the heads right now. Skype is compiling the video. And also Kishore Hari. Well, I have to say, this might be my last podcast ever after oh. that dancing intro. That was an embarrassment to us. <laughs> we, right there. But for the record, we couldn't hear the music. That's why That's it was right. fun. That's why That's it was right. fun. Uh, you know, we cover tech, but sometimes the tech still eludes us. And when it comes to teleconferencing and recording podcasts, uh, we don't do it often for a reason. We try to be in person as much as possible. But we're using Skype right now. We, you know, we had the idea that we were going to potentially try to do this in VR using something like big screen. Um, but I think that also offered its own set of complexities. Uh, but we're here. It's actually, to pull back the curtain, it's the Saturday before Christmas. This is, we're recording this maybe, what is this, like five days before you out there are listening to it. We're all in our respective homes, but we needed to record this podcast because we're going to talk about only two things. Two things. Two things. I promise. Two things this week <sighs> to keep it short and sweet, or at least sweet, maybe not so sweet, but we're going to talk about Star Wars, mm -hmm. The Rise of Skywalker, and we're going to talk about Half-Life Alex. Wow. All right. Spoiler-tastic. I know. Jeremy, you're clipping a little bit. I don't know if that's uh, on, on you, but I hear you clipping. He's just <laughs> showing the level of enthusiasm <laughs> he has for both of these things. Um, but, you know, this will be out after Christmas. So if there are any, like, confessionals about Christmas or things you're proud of, things that you may have given as gifts that you want to talk about, how are your Christmases, you two? Or how did you? How do? How are you anticipating them to be? <laughs> I, I I couldn't believe that gift of socks I got. And, socks are great. And uh, tie I received. I don't know. I'm just taking a wild stab. No, the best part of Christmas is watching everyone open presents and light up, uh, and then having the day to spend with your family until it descends into talking about all of the things that grade on each other. But you at least have that window of time in the morning. Where everything is just working out so well. I totally agree. Oh, am I? Oh, God, I'm still clipping. Let's see. How's this? Is that better? How's yes. that? Is that's that okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm adjusting down. <laughs> is that good? That's okay. good. I think um, that's okay. I totally agree with Couture. Uh, my family is already upset with me for putting <laughs> so many presents under the tree. Wow. Yeah, my, my nine-year-old daughter is, you know, she's getting a little self-conscious because she only got me like two things. You know, it's not a competition. I, yeah. I you know, I told her it's not a competition. She doesn't give me anything. I just, I love getting stuff for people. It's an excuse to buy things. Yeah. And that, that 
you don't have to keep track of that they can let clutter, but also yeah. it's like you're testing how well you know your loved ones. Whether I love they're it. gonna they're gonna like you wanna surprise them. Right. That's any, a, any spoilers at everybody, this point? Everybody everybody makes lists. I don't mm-hmm. I don't read the lists. Wow. No, gotta use your imagination. What's the best thing you got for someone that you think they'll be surprised by? They can all hear me right now, Norman. Oh, so no. <laughs> We're not gonna spoil that at all then. Uh, one of my nephews asked for a million dollars, so we got him uh, as many gag million dollar gifts as you could imagine. Million dollar <laughs> chocolate bar, million dollar socks. He's going to really uh, not understand the joke, but all of us are going to have fun with that. Nice. Nice. All right. Let's, we got to get into it. Okay. All right. Well, then let me play a quick segment because we're going to start off with this. Norm's dancing, but we can't hear it, so this is awesome. Pop culture. Pop culture. Oh, pop culture. All right. Pop culture. That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, Kishore, you just watched Rise Skywalker this morning. Hours ago. Hours ago, literally, as we're recording this. Uh, Jeremy, you saw it yesterday. Right. Um, You know, we all... Are we going to? Are we going to talk spoilers? Are we? Are we doing yeah, spoiler-free discussion? Spoilers. Yeah. Is that? A, yeah. That's yeah. not even a question. This is a full-on spoiler cast. That's right. Uh, I I gotta say, for any of you who listened to the podcast last week, honest to goodness, none of us had watched the movie at that point, so none of us were being cheeky in terms of the predictions. Because sure. God damn it. I wish you didn't say anything. How did you know? Did you how know? Did you, how did you know? You well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. In my defense, like the redemption of Ben Solo, that's like a reasonable guess, like based on the storyline. I don't know. I was Norm. hoping that wasn't going to happen. I am not talking about that. No, no. I'm, I'm talking about not Ben Solo. Right. I, you should have seen. I physically threw something in the theater. <laughs> what had happened? I was so upset at myself, uh, at the podcast, at even thinking these thoughts. I was very disappointed in what I saw. So you I did, said you didn't know. The only thing that was happy in that moment was Harrison Ford's bank account. That's the only thing I could think of that was a positive thing that happened in that moment. Oh, you didn't like it. Oh, I did not care for it at all. Oh, I liked it. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that I, as a as a bookend to their last encounter in uh, Force Awakens. But like the moment it happened, it wasn't the, the surprise wasn't spoiled for me because you hear the voice first, right? He goes, hey, kid. Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh, what is that? Is that Luke? Right. And, um, and then once it shows him, like one, I felt surprised and like, oh, they're going with this, which is kind of like what um, they did. If you remember in Batman v Superman, when Clark Kent's walking the earth and he goes like the Himalayas and he's Kevin Costner comes back and it's not really Kevin Costner. It's not really his father. It's like his, how he remembers his father is what he sees inside of him. It's the exact same idea. And I'm glad they did that. And they didn't try to make it like a force ghost type of thing. It's like, clearly he's not real. He's it's internalized. Um, his, all his angst. Right. Um, but God damn it. Kishore, I was like, I wish you didn't make that prediction because I'm sorry. I, it could have been that much more of a surprise. I thought you knew. Like when I saw that on screen, I thought, okay, Kishore knows somebody. He dropped a hint, and that was an Easter egg for everybody in the last podcast. And nope, 
when we saw each other the following day, before the podcast had gone up, and I had seen the film, and we were talking about it, spoiler free, I was just like holding, biting my tongue. Just like I wanted to say something, but I couldn't. And then even worse, right? We had all watched the episode seven of The Mandalorian. Yeah. And one of the things we said was like, oh, we, we guessed like, oh, would the Mandalorian do anything to, to do a crossover? Would, they, would there be any kind of world building, like uh, shared ideas? And I think you said on Slack, you're like, force healing life powers. What crazy bullshit is that? And I was biting my tongue again because that's exactly what they, they did. That and, was the crossover. Yeah, yeah. We were told there would be a Mandalorian crossover of some kind. I thought it would be a little more intricate or tied into the plot, maybe even a Baby Yoda reference somewhere. But yeah, there it was, was another. It was the new force power. What, what do you guys think of that new force power? Well, I, I mean, Mandalorian Chapter 7 was good. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I guess the takeaways are for sure you didn't I like think- it. I think that's my review of this movie. Wow. Okay. Kishore definitely didn't like it. Jeremy? You're talking about the force power? No. uh, Well, yeah, the force power and then the movie as a whole. Oh, the movie as a whole, I'm – I got to tell you, I I feel like I've attained enlightenment. Like I went into this film with a whole new perspective on Star Wars that I haven't had since, you know, probably I was a kid and I was seeing it and I didn't know what to expect. And that's it. I don't care. Like I went into this movie and I was – the last two movies left me so unfulfilled that I just went in expecting anything. And I saw the Rotten Tomatoes review, and it did nothing but help because I went in there ready to be disappointed. And I was okay. I, I expected all the cheesy things that happened, that like the flying, you know, stormtroopers and uh, stumbling upon the knife and like these co- crazy coincidences and the cute droids saying goofy things. I I could let all that go. It didn't bother me. And all the things that did hit the mark, like, actually worked for me. So I, this was the first one I've enjoyed in the new era. I like wow. I, I would say I loved it. I can't wait to see it again. Wow. Wow. That's – wow. So I yeah. guess take, take away all your expectations is the only way you can, uh, you can enjoy this film. Let for you. Let your hate. Let, yeah, let the old things die. That's right. Kill all the old things. I, I think it was helpful watching the two films, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, this week, too, because it, it really seemed to expect you to have seen those films and, yeah. and remembered them. But, but don't you feel like since this erased so much of The Last Jedi's whole points, I mean, they literally stitched together his helmet like right away. And yeah. like, like, I mean, it's basically a middle finger to that film. Like, it, like, it, it almost felt like when I was thinking about watching Last Jedi before watching this, I'm like, what's the point? I feel like they're going to erase it anyways. And guess what? They did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They never explained how Rey reassembled Luke's lightsaber that was destroyed at the end of Last <laughs> Jedi. And then she just has it working fully. You got, you know? I'm telling you, you guys got to let go of that stuff. And just let it go. Just don't worry about asking questions. You're, you're probably not going to get fulfilled. The thing I hated about Les Jedi most was the big warp maneuver in the end where, where one capital ship destroyed all the Empire. Like, I'm thinking to myself, wow. if that was a thing, people would be using that tactic all the time. And they, and they, they reference it here. They retconned it. And I was like, perfectly, like, that's nice. Thank you for doing that. You didn't even have to do that for me, but you helped me out there. They called that a one in a million shot. And yep. that's why they don't do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I think it's tough because there's so many expectations going in this film and, and all the the speculation of the 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 background, all the secrets to be revealed. I said this on the other podcast that I was I felt the burden of the reveals kind of overwhelmed and overshadowed any enjoyment I had I could have had with this film, and which is why I want to see it again because I, the whole time I was just waiting for it to end, like it's waiting for all the revelations, and there were you know some revelations some expected things yeah in the end like i kept on thinking back to to how i felt at the end of endgame and throughout endgame i had like all these emotions i was crying i was exhilarated it was it was it was cathartic in so many ways and i don't think i could count more than like three or four moments in this movie where i felt had felt anything oh really, really? Yeah. yeah i mean i would say you know i would at the end of the movie i was saying to myself Please don't kiss. Please don't kiss. Don't kiss. Don't kiss. <laughs> and then I didn't think they were. I thought they were. I thought they were like, okay, good. They're not going to do it. And then they kissed. But then the fact that Kylo fades away and you realize that he gave his life for her. Yeah. I was like, okay, okay. Maybe that wasn't romantic. Or at least they, they don't have the chance to turn it into something romantic now. Right. I, I don't like that, that they planted that seed. It was completely unnecessary. Yeah. Like her the role was not to save him. Right, and it ended up being in full Well, now, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I disagree. I mean, that's the most Skywalker thing to do. That's why she gets to have that name. It's like she bet on his redemption. Mm. That's what Luke did. Yeah. It's also tough to talk about this film without like the things you hope would be in this film. And there are a lot of things I hope would be in this film. Um, I did really like, if we're going to go full to the ending, where... Uh, you know, all the Jedi live in her, that line that was in Last Jedi. Yeah. Right? They actually kind of manifest yeah. that in a I way. I, that, I, I was really surprised to hear all the voices. I wanted more. I yeah. wanted like, like and, and this is kind of unrealistic to expect, but you know, now thinking back over it, like what if they had been bold enough to literally bring in the force ghosts of all the Jedi that you as fans connected with? through the Skywalker saga. Yeah. Right. Have Darth Vader literally come back and fight the emperor as a force ghost you know, <laughs> with, with Sam Jackson and Yoda. Like what, that would have been a, a portals like moment for me. Yeah. Like, that would have been a, Oh, I can't believe they did it. That's crazy. Like really? if you're going to go fan service, go full fan service. I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't have been okay with that. I, I hadn't thought of that. That would have been interesting if they were all force ghosts. I, I still think just hearing all the voices, um, you know, meant a lot. And then you see that the trailers grow up, or not the trailer, the, the credits roll, and you see all the actual people who are doing the voices. Yeah. That was a nice moment for the fans. And, you know, thank God we saw Ewoks in the end. I was hoping for that as a guy who, you know, was nine years old when Jedi came out. When they went to the moon of Endor, I was hoping we would see some Ewoks, but we got to see some celebrating at the end. There was a lot of fan service in this movie, for sure. But, you know, all appreciated. And, and to a certain extent, I felt like this movie was the first one to acknowledge that, like, the last two tried to do something different and didn't always hit the mark. And so they kind of backpedaled a little bit. That's why you had Palpatine, like, return. Uh, you know, he was, like, better, more powerful and devious and evil than Snoke ever was, or even Kylo. He, like... Okay, if we can't if we can't fix it, then let's bring in the most badass guy in all of Star Wars. Mm. I, you know, I actually think Palpatine was the worst part of this movie, and then oh, the, wow. the and the reveal of the lineage I thought was was the most unsatisfying reveal maybe in Star Wars history. Can I ask you guys what was the reaction in your theater when that happened? 
Which part? With the, the name, like you are Ray Palpatine, yes, or yes. the lightning, lightning from her hands? Oh, I didn't get it with the lightning. I needed, oh. I needed fed, and I think my theater did too. So, what happened when that when it was actually told to you? Uh, I my theater wasn't terribly full. I'll be honest. Uh, so there wasn't there was a little bit of a gasp, but like it was not much of a reaction. Yeah, I, I don't think audible gas at all really? when i saw it i think it was more again the the burden of the the reveal finally there's almost a sigh of relief like, okay okay now we know let's move past this let's see what it means but it wasn't it didn't come out of left field i mean again it's impossible i think it was impossible task for jj abrams and chris Sierra to write a reveal yeah and that's why ryan johnson didn't do it right because any type of reveal if they had done something predictable in the last jedi you know going with any of the speculative uh, theories, you know, daughter of Luke Skywalker, daughter of um, Obi-Wan, clone, all that stuff. None of that would have impact because we exist in an age where, you know, the fans have kind of written all their their uh, their headcanon bef- way before the movie comes out. Somebody must have come up with this theory somewhere on Reddit. Oh, yeah. It, that was one of the more popular ones. Oh, it was? After The Force Awakens, 100%. Yeah. I had no and idea. It just uh, well, went back to it being, okay, I guess they're going with the kind of expected right. thing my my theater laughed wow but I, <laughs> it was pretty packed and i would say a good quarter of the theater laughed at that moment like it was principally like uh oh yeah yeah yeah. just like oh come on man like that, that doesn't make any sense but it was the only other time i've seen that in a star wars film is when uh yoda uh Light his lightsaber, his first lightsaber battle, and whatever oh, jumping around everywhere. attack of the clones. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh and I, after. I remember seeing that. That wasn't laughter, that was people cheering. Oh, when really? I saw that in theaters, yeah, oh, I saw cool. the Cornet Theater opening night, yeah. and people were like freaking out. Uh, when that happened, when he opens the, the cloak and then the, the lightsaber goes in his hands, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's flip this a little bit. What are the things that you did like about this movie? I like the movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but like all we've done is list out things right, right. that we've been critical of. Um, um, well, first of all, I like the new, all like the new uh, vehicles. I thought that the uh, dirt speeders were pretty awesome. Those dirt bikes, and I was, you know, the fact that they flipped the stormtroopers off the back, I thought that was cool. That whole planet, I thought was awesome. Mm, all Burning the- Man. This, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it had like an, an India thing going on too with the, with the, the yeah. smoke, the colorful smoke and uh, the beautiful costumes. Um, I thought that was cool. I, I totally knew that was Lando. That was, you know, I don't know. Uh, that, that didn't hit home for me. But uh, I, liked, I liked that whole scene. I, again, finding the dagger by being sucked underground coincidentally. That was – and stumbling upon her old spacecraft. Uh, that's just too – too sweet, but uh, whatever. I, I like li- uh, all the Leia stuff. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say the dagger story, like the idea of her parents being murdered and didn't abandon her. I actually thought that worked. Yeah. Like it made sense in the context of the other movies. I, I thought it was effective where it started to lose me. is like, is all of like the deciphering the code on the, you know, oh, yeah. I love that. Didn't you like the, the yeah, I started <laughs> feeling national treasure and not star. You didn't like C-3PO going Sith and then losing his memory? No, I thought that was I, was, I thought that was touching. I was a little um, I was thought I would be more cynical than I was. Hmm. Uh, I That's still think Daisy Ridley is still the best thing in these movies. I think her performance, even 
like in these like really wildly different places uh, still carried a lot of great things. And her interaction with Kylo throughout most of the movie, I thought she really carried a lot of those interactions in a really positive way. I thought she's awesome. She's been awesome in all three films. I like that they that they did a good job of uh, planting the seeds of the not forced space time, but like forced uh, you know, up <laughs> teleport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, that was cool. Um, is that because, what we're calling it now? Force time? <laughs> um, because you, you learn that that's possible, and then it's how they win the battle in the end. I, I, so that that worked for me. Um, I loved Bobby. Okay, so that's I, I, I like. I want to talk about that for a second. Yeah, because you're right. Like the way they telegraphed it earlier with uh, the necklace being being transferred over right. that I think helped the the big reveal of the lightsaber being a big moment land a little better uh, in a way that Luke's force ghost maneuver his his force projection across the galaxy was not as well received even though I love that in the last Jedi you know he kind of put a Jedi mind trick over uh, you know an entire planet entire army yeah um, and I did like that it was a kind of extension of the connection they had built between uh, Kylo and Rey in The Last Jedi, right? That they have this personal shared space where not only they can see each other and they can communicate, but, you know, they, they were able to impact each other um, in The Last Jedi. So this felt like a natural progression of that. Yeah, in The Last Jedi, I guess Snoke was enabling that, but then in this movie, they figured out how to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I never liked... works in mysterious ways. I never liked Snoke. I was happy to see him go. There wasn't um, enough to him to like him. But we learn more about that, like in that he makes more sense now. Again, retconning. Yeah. I feel like they did a good job with that. Him being a clone, I guess. What yeah, about something, you, something you Nord? What did you like? Um, you know, I wish there was more for Finn to do. I felt like Finn was left out, but I did like that he kind of found, you know, uh, his people, the old the other stormtroopers who, who rebelled, and that is a thread that I'm glad I didn't expect them to pull on, but. That they kind of developed that it was just he was this lone, you know, uh, rogue stormtrooper. But there were other people, even within the Empire or the First Order, that felt like they shouldn't have been fighting or doing what the First Order was commanding them. Um, I agree with all the Leia stuff. I thought it was really elegantly handled. You know, we had read rumors that um, if Carrie Fisher was able to be a part of this, they would have made her the really the centerpiece from the old trilogy. And given her a lot more backstory, and I felt like I'm glad they didn't remove that, you know, the, the flashback scene where we see her being trained as a Jedi and then the explanation for why she stopped that training. Uh, I felt like that was really nicely handled. I felt like that was that was one of those moments where like they just can't help themselves because they promised us we wouldn't get CG Leia. Yes. They promised us that like they swore on the Bible that we wouldn't see that. And then sure enough, there it is. She and Luke. But, you know, they did such a good job with it. it I wasn't bothered by it yeah and, yeah. and they did such a good job <laughs> hi back there oh we got it we got oh a, that's another spoiler cast in. victim over there <laughs> um and i i thought that the, just from a technical standpoint the way that they used her old takes and footage and managed to create dialogue where those lines worked yeah. And it tried to create shots where her eye line would match up with who she was talking to i that was uh expertly done 
did you, did you feel like you're kind of like bracing for the end of those minutes? Cause they had telegraphed yeah. ahead of time. Like we have 16 minutes of unused footage. And so you as like, you're trying to like deconstruct working backwards. Okay. They had this line of dialogue and this kind of extended shot. So every time you had a scene with her, you're like, how do they reverse engineer the script to make this work? Did you get that feeling? Yeah, totally. And, and I was yeah. surprised it went as long as it did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That part of it took me out of, a little bit. So I'm, again, I'm hoping that the second viewing, I won't be thinking more about that and just letting the scenes play out. Right. Uh, did it make a difference how you saw it? Like, when, like, is this something that really needs Dolby or IMAX or anything like that? Uh, because I thought the film looked good, uh, but I, I didn't feel like there was such like this immense soundscape that uh, Dolby uh, that I, I saw it in XD and I thought that was plenty fine. Um, I think sound for sure. I think it helps, especially uh, with the good surround sound. That last scene with all the the voices, yeah, that was really oh, nicely yeah, right. designed. Uh, and then space battles, the sound stuff. I, I, I haven't seen in IMAX or Dolby yet, but I'm going to see it next in Dolby, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, I'll just tell you my favorite part of, of Star Wars so, uh, this week. It. Uh, Mandalorian Chapter Seven is so good. That's still the best thing. I saw, the best Star Wars thing that I saw. I'm I'm pretty upset at this movie. This was wildly disappointing. Oh wow! The the day. And so you liked the Last Jedi. I liked. Uh, so I didn't care for anything at the casino. So I was pretty ambivalent about it. Yeah. Uh, but I liked the Ray storyline especially. And uh, how'd you feel about the Force Awakens? Force Awakens, I felt like I was being spoon-fed fan service, but coming yeah. off the prequels and everything, right. I was okay with that um, as like a sort of a reboot trigger. Yeah. Uh, but I, I thought they were at least going to build upon some things they did in The Last Jedi, and they instead hit the reset button. And I think at the end of the day, like that, um, that shows just how inconsistent these three movies are together. Well, because yeah, you fair. can't just evaluate this one movie by itself. You have to evaluate it as the payoff to the trilogy. The, the, the Last Jedi is one two and a half hour long just demolition of the rebellion. Like Every scene in that movie is about the rebellion being decimated. Ship after ship, capital ship after capital ship, until they are left with enough people that can fit on the Millennium Falcon. Right? The entire right. rebellion. And I felt like that must mean something, but they weren't sensitive to that. I felt like people died throughout that film and nobody cared unless they were primary cast members. Mm. And whereas this film, I felt like did a better job of like caring about life. And, and until wow. the end, when Palpatine like tried to destroy everybody, but then it turned out he just turned off their engines for a little bit. Uh, this brings up one thing. Like, so in Last Jedi... Like they're like that path of destruction that first order takes and like, and Hux like kind of being like a hunter. What did you think about him in this movie? Oh, I mean, I, it's not a character I like. And the, that big twist, I think was very clumsily yeah. delivered, but I'm really glad then that it was just kind of, they just, Ended that storyline right there. <laughs> yeah, and, and just kind of yeah, yeah. If you if you go back and look at his character, it, doesn't he do some horrific things? I mean, yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and the motivations are, I think, all logical, right? He's not yeah. redeemed in any way. He's right. still a snake. Yeah. It's just that 
he's like he's a bitter, toxic person that now just wants Kylo Ren to fail. But of course, he can't even get that right. Right. Yeah. No, I didn't care about that. That was completely unnecessary and and unbelievable. <laughs> there was a lot of that. I mean, but thankfully, I didn't care. <laughs> Uh, did you like the way it ended, the last scene, the epilogue scene? I thought that was a, a nice touch to be you on Tatooine. You mean on Tatooine? Yes, on Tatooine. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It tied into the beginning of The Force Awakens with her sledding down the hill mm-hmm. and the beginning of the entire series. And uh, do you think it earned, she earned that last line? Oh, I, I was, you know, it was it was a little weird. I, I don't I don't necessarily buy that. Um, I think she earned it with the redemption of Ben. And how it, it it played because that's how Luke played and Leia had very similar mentality. I actually liked the lightsaber burial more than anything else because mm. it was sort of like the symbolic, like this story is over, their I'm, story is over. I liked seeing that her lightsaber color was yellow, which mm-hmm. is a little bit different than anyone else's. Well, was it's yellow. In the Star Wars canon: white? the yellow lightsaber means that you're not neither good or evil. Is that true? Like there's a there's a like a actual. It is a canonical thing. Was it yellow? It looked white in mine. Screening. I'm going with oh. yellow. Okay, I'm going to go with yellow too, but okay. The yellow lightsaber, according to the internet, means that a Jedi sentinel, a Jedi who has honed his her skills in a balance of combat and scholarly pursuits. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't subscribe to anything that's not said in the movies, so, mm. but, but I, I take your word for that. Um, okay. I, what, Babu Frick? Babu Frick? Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah, tiny, tiny puppet guy. My son's hey, favorite hey. character. Yeah, he was great. I, like, I loved all the new characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and uh, Poe, you know, I'd read somewhere that Poe wished that his uh, character was more gender fluid, or at least, you know, his preferences. Mm-hmm. And he, he was not happy that he had this previous fling love interest. Right. Right. But I thought that worked. He's, he's so good at, uh, you know, doing body language, and that worked very well between them. Yeah, I was, was really, Oh, sorry, sorry go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. He was more relegated to a lot of the comic relief. I mean, yeah. and there was a lot of that in Last Jedi as well. I thought it was handled a little better here, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, didn't, I didn't need it. I like the character. I like Zori. The armor looked yeah. great. The armor looked fantastic. Um, is she and, played by a famous actress? Uh, Kara Russell. Russell. Who is that? She's in the Americans and uh, was in the show Felicity. Okay. Uh, a long time friend of J.J. Abrams. And oh, wow. Uh, Mission Impossible 3. Uh, I wanted more um, uh, Naomi Aki, too. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. That character was, was great. I, I, I'll be honest, I did not see the, the lineage coming there. But I yeah. guess, like, in Star Wars, you should always suspect <laughs> you're, you're somebody's. Uh, I mean, there's there's no big lineage though, right? She's not no. anyone's daughter. She's no, just. I mean, yeah, I mean, ex stormtrooper. Yes, I mean, but like, I that's what I meant. Like the the tie-in to to the Finn stuff, like mm-hmm. that. There's always somebody that anyone that shows up has a tie to somebody else. They're not just random characters. Well, I I was hoping that that part of her character and Finn's character would pay off a little more, right? The fact that they. Where they they showed that there was good on these stormtroopers never really paid off. Like they never that never was a thing that helped turn the tide, you know. And then when you're talking about these big, like these big formulaic beats that happen on these movies, 
right? When you have that, you know, Poe saying, no one, no one's going to come. It turned out no one listened. There was no one left. Like, you know, that's not the case. You know, that's setting up the exact moment where the Falcon's going to come in with a thousand ships. Yeah, especially and in the same year as Endgame. Exactly. And <laughs> Endgame did it in a way so well done where, like, you knew intellectually that those characters had to come back, but they still put you in a moment where it was a nice surprise and the way they brought it back with the music, with the dialogue. When Falcon comes out and says, on your left, the slow pace of that, they let that moment breathe. Mm-hmm. Here, that moment never got to breathe, and it was just like, okay, checkbox. Now the tide is turned again. Like, and so, so there was no surprise there, I felt. It- it's funny. I mean, there's no shock to listeners that I was a huge fan of of Endgame and Infinity War. I can't believe these two movies were made by the same studio. That Endgame and this movie are same made by the same studio. I, I just can't. I don't I, understand it. I asked Adam about that, and I and I will give him the all you know rights to go into that if he wants to. I'm still entitled, but he has really interesting perspective on how one studio can you know have such varying degrees of success and um but he he did suggest that it takes a good five years for that this type of relationship to mature especially when they're owning a new property and they didn't necessarily start it um and going forward uh he's a lot more optimistic and and seeing mandalorian i am too Hmm. i mean there's also a level of autonomy right just because walt disney owns like Disney owns both Walt Disney Animation Studios and Pixar doesn't mean that they have to share technology, process, people, you know, execution. Uh, they're allowed to I mean that's why they are not only separate divisions, but kind of run as separate businesses. And and then, you know, Bob Iger doesn't watch all the movies and give creative direction. He just kind of like, you know, says we want to do this when we want to do that and then let the leadership for those right. companies execute. Star Wars. Man. That was a Star Wars. Mandalorian yeah. Chapter 7. Wow. <laughs> it's the first cliffhanger in the entire series. And it, thank God it's not the end of the season because that would be a long wait. It devastated me. Yeah. Can, can we spoil that too? Or why not? Let's not. Let's not. No, no, no. Why no. not? Let's, let's not. All right. I, 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 I'm going to. I'm going to. Devastating. Yeah. It was. Let's leave it at that. The cliffhanger. Well, although yeah. uh, it, it was. Like people are talking about force healing as if it was first seen in last in the Rise of Skywalker, and it wasn't. It was in Mandalorian. Well, who saw it, right? By like hours, <laughs> literal right. hours. It was, it was yeah. yeah. Depending if you saw it in the red carpet or not, it might actually have been first in Rise of Skywalker. Right. 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 But in the, the the world of Star Wars, of course, reminder: Mandalorian happens before Force Awakens. Yeah. So they're still divergent in terms of timelines. I think it's before even yeah, the First Order comes to power. And maybe that's something we'll see. Although, again, it, it technically is a prequel now, so I don't know if there will be a point to having like the rise of the First Order depicted in The Mandalorian. Um, there's going to be more Star Wars movies going forward. There's going to be more Star Wars shows going forward. So the Obi-Wan show, of course, is something that's in the works. It's going to be a prequel series, of course. Uh, hopefully more of a character-driven show, not necessarily a plot-driven show, because like there's no, there's no reason to have a lot of plot when we know where it's going to lead. Um, so get to a, a new hope. Uh, but hopes and dreams for the next Star Wars trilogies or films? Ah, uh, that they let the directors do whatever the hell they want. Uh, that we don't see films taken away from directors again. And uh, we see them let them be experimental, which is what Star Wars is always supposed to be. 
Uh, also, narrower focus. Like, uh, I think having a much smaller film, like a planet, a couple planets in terms of scope and size, uh, so that we don't have as many characters and have as many, you know, areas to do. Uh, to traverse uh mm-hmm. i think that narrower star wars that more character driven star wars uh is kind of the interesting place yeah that that was what the main criticism was of the film that i read after watching it i saw a lot of the reviews or read some of the reviews on rotten tomatoes and it was that it's just manic that it goes from one thing to the next and you don't have time to digest it or let your heart get involved that the opening scene of uh light speed skipping yep. was a metaphor for the film itself yep Totally. Uh, I would like to see a story, like a smaller story as well, focused on a pilot. You know, the maybe it doesn't have to be Poe Dameron, but someone who is maybe not an ace pilot, but just a pilot in the way that The Mandalorian is about a bounty hunter. I want to see a pilot story um, in the Star Wars universe. You know, t- uh, a pilot and their ship, right? And that, that, that tie that they have, and maybe a droid, of course. And their droid, yeah, of course. And a droid. Yeah, I want to see that. I don't know. I'm a little droided out, though. I am, I am happy for R2 and C3PO to just get a break. Like I feel like they've had to carry a lot of film for a long time, right? So I, let's let's let them rest. Power down, R2. You've I, done enough. I loved Amnesiac C3PO. I thought that was right up there with Buzz Lightyear, forgetting that he's you know a toy. Yeah. I loved it. You like that that type of comedy? You think works for Star Wars? I, it did. It did for me yesterday, but then mm-hmm. it, I was ready to let anything happen. Uh, I'll admit I laughed, but I like. I feel like they've given a lot. Enough with those characters. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm being called away for family stuff, so I'll let you you both, the VR experts, talk about uh, Alex. Uh, but ha- Merry Christmas to all. Hope and you happy- have a good one as well, and a Happy New Year. And we'll see everyone. We'll see you, Kishore, at least in, in the new year. What? All right. We're not going to see me? Well, we'll see you. I'm what? seeing you like right now, Jeremy. We're continuing this podcast. I'll say goodbye. Yeah, you you have to time. talk about Alex. Like no, the amazing thing that is Half-Life Alex. All right. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Kishore. All right. So there goes Kishore. But before we continue on with the next segment, I want to let you know that support for this week's episode of This is Only a Test is made possible with support by Lutron Caseta Smart Lighting. A lot of people think you need smart bulbs to get smart lighting, but there's a smarter way. Caseta Smart Dimmers switches replace the switch in your wall so that all the lights controlled by the switch will act smart. Think about all the places in your home where one switch controls multiple bulbs, ceiling lights, chandeliers, bathrooms, and more. With Caseta, you'll save money by replacing the switches instead of replacing all of the bulbs. Smart bulbs are only smart when the switch is on. If someone flips it off, you can say goodbye to smart control and connectivity. But Caseta switches are always smart even if the switch is off with caseta dimmers you don't need to buy smart bulbs enjoy smart lighting you actually get the best of both worlds smart lighting control from an app or your voice and control right at the switch get smart lighting the smart way with caseta by lutron smart switches learn more about caseta at lutron.com slash test that's lutron.com slash test and our next segment is The VR Minute Virtual Reality This Week. Okay, Jeremy Williams. Okay, Norman Chen. <laughs> what do we want to talk about? How do we want to talk about this? All right, well, what, what do you want? Uh, you, you obviously posted a video of you and Will went going up to Valve uh, mm-hmm. last week. And yes. 
Uh, it took YouTube by storm. Everyone who's interested in virtual reality has watched it by now. Um, Hopefully the there's a lot more people who are interested in virtual reality who haven't seen it. <laughs> I would hate to think that the view numbers indicate the market size for VR. All right, so but you've had a good, uh, a lot, hundreds of thousands of views on yeah. this video. Um, and it was a half hour long. There's more that happened that you haven't talked about yet. But more importantly, I wasn't able to go, <laughs> and I have questions. So um, let's lay out some some kind of ground rules, right? Like, and then some background on this. There's of course a lot of stuff that they were open with us about that um, we can't talk about because they're related to, you know, plot details or things that they're just not ready to talk about yet. Yeah. And uh, we were invited up there mostly to try stuff out on hardware. Uh, they looked at our past hardware coverage, our experience with VR, and wanted uh, to give us a chance not only to you know, play the game and give some feedback, but also uh, see what the game looked like on a variety of headsets, and, which we're really curious about because we know that you know, not everyone has uh, a Valve Index, and a lot of people are primarily curious about what it looks like on the Oculus Quest with Link, which is just out, you know, news this last week. You can buy the Oculus Link cable now for $80. Um, and thought, a lot of people... I thought that was a really interesting thing for them to do, to invite mm -hmm. you up there to test other hardware. Like, yes. you wouldn't... Ex I can't imagine, you know, like Microsoft inviting people out to try, you know, some app that they made and see how it works on... Uh, Windows Mixed Reality, but also see how it looks on the Oculus Rift and the Vive Index. I mean, why not? Because everybody usually wants to promote their own hardware. Sure. And you would expect Half-Life VR, HLVR, whatever, Half-Life Alex to be the killer app for the Vive in, for the uh, for the Valve Index. And, and I don't yet, think that's like the intent isn't it doesn't feel like that's the intent at all. That's which is also when we first last year got a chance to preview Valve Index as a whole, right? The idea wasn't that they were going to make a headset to be the definitive, you know, only VR headset that people should buy. You know, the, the, the reason they chose the components they chose and chose the type of controllers they chose was to give an example, was to push what they thought were going to be important aspects of VR hardware forward, yeah. which obviously was a decision tree, right? They chose tethered desktop-based PC VR as opposed to something like the Quest and didn't go for a low price point. So they know how important, I think, I think they know how important other devices are in the market, which is why Steam VR, the technology is kind of open. Like any hardware manufacturer can use the Lighthouse-based tracking and make hardware based on that. It's the reason that they work with HEC on the HEC Vive. And you know, if, if one of those headsets succeeds, that's great for VR as a whole. They just wanted to develop a headset where they could prioritize what they internally thought or should be prioritize or that other companies maybe weren't prioritizing. Right. And so I don't think to say that Half-Life Alex is being designed as a killer app for the Valve Index is accurate at all. Like one of our takeaways was that, you know, surprise, Half-Life Alex does not even use all exclusively all the features of the index, right? Like index has cameras inside out cameras in the front that nothing right now really uses even the uh the the controllers like it doesn't yes there's the the cap sense and you can see your fingers but that's not an essential required part of the half-life experience they're not designing that as the base spec 
Um, and in fact, they're designing the spec for anything that has motion controllers and at least has that trigger and some, you know, the D-pad or directional movement on the top, because uh, that's what a lot of the other headsets, even like the HTC Vive, has right now. Um, so do you think that this is just a matter of being in such early days that Valve sees like the there's no point in championing one yeah. one product when the the entire community is still so small and we just 100%. have to raise the tide for the entire industry. Yes, exactly. And and you know we've talked about this on the podcast before. Like, who are they designing this game for primarily? And I still don't have a good answer for that yet, right? Are they people who have not tried VR who are on the fence and want someone to prove that there is a VR game that can get people to convert into VR? Because there's a lot more of those people out there, yeah. potentially, that they still want to, you know, that, that feel like an opportunity to get interest in VR than there are existing VR owners who they want to prove that, you know, that there's a, like, this is a bar of quality for, for VR. Um, I don't think those things are necessarily mutually exclusive. It's just, I think that, that, that decision, that, that kind of, that direction may influence some of the decisions that they're making um, or that have, they have made and that they still are making. Right. Uh, one thing I do want to, I think I can say is that uh -huh. they reached out to us basically very shortly after the first trailer was released. And so this trip was, was planned, you know, well ahead of time. Um, and the timing was such that we could only go uh, last week, uh, which timing was, it was going to be after the, the game awards. And so it was news to me, surprise to me that they weren't uh, showing anything at the game awards. Um, and my understanding was that that's just because of they were busy and the capture that's required to show anything at the game awards is more than just pressing record on OBS. When someone's in a headset, it is a, it is a whole, you know, process to, to get a trailer made. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's unfortunate that people didn't get to see something at the game awards and so, but for us, we're happy to be able to be the first one to show something. Um, so you were able to play. You were able to play three hours, yeah. um, and it's supposed to be what five times that long. How I mean, I think fifteen hours. What they've said uh, that's going to vary depending on how people get through it. I think what I can say is that Will and I both played, and yeah. I played that entire three hour three hours in smooth locomotion. Will played it in teleport. Uh, that's what he's more comfortable with. I'm a big smooth locomotion person, so I wanted to do a smooth locomotion. And interestingly enough, at like around the two to two and a half hour mark, we were almost lockstep in step where we were in the game, mm -hmm. uh, which was interesting. Uh, it wasn't like one form of movement was going to get you through the game much faster. Is there a delay um, to the teleport? Is it like a cooldown? Uh, no, no, there isn't a delay. I think so. You could potentially move faster yeah. through the world that way. I think so. I think actually teleport. Technically, you could move faster. Um, and I think the only reason, like, Will played. I think at the end of that session, he played four hours. I played three hours because you know there are challenging parts and there are puzzles. And not that Will's not a good gamer, but he took more time with some of that stuff. He's an older fellow, <laughs> so he what, couldn't read the text on the microchip. Tell me about <laughs> the 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 like depth of quality, like as you're walking yeah. through the world, I, I, it's valve. I imagine that it's a r extremely refined, finished experience. Yeah. Do you, are there, are there, um, sandbox areas where you could imagine people just fiddling around and getting lost with the VR spatial awareness and physics? Yeah. I think this is a tough question because again, I don't want to 
overstuff my bounds because I can't really talk about the content specifically. Okay. But my experience was one, like, I've played a ton of VR games, right? Like, I think if you look at uh, Stormland or Asgard's Wrath and a lot of the high quality, big studio, big budget studio desktop games, like, right. we, we have a good understanding, you and I, of what the high bar in terms of production value is for games. And everything about this game was impressive to me. Um, and it's not done, right? Like that stuff is, I think, only going to get better. And yes, I will say there were moments where I felt like I was telling them I could literally stay here and just, you know, play with this thing for hours. And which is like, if you've played any Half-Life game, right, you could have used a gravity gun and had fun with that for hours. Um, and I don't think that's going to be any different. Like th- this felt very much like a Half-Life game. I think I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. You've told me that the, the gravity gov, gloves were yeah. one of the real highlights of the experience of playing. Can you talk yeah. about that mechanic? Um, only as much as we said in the video, in that, like, kind of how it works in relation to the controllers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're, you're pointing at an object, it highlights, you're then pulling the trigger or the grab. It's either or, depending on, you know, some controllers, like, for example, the Vive controller, which I had one. Uh, easily, uh, it would be the, the trigger because there's no analog grab for that. Although I think you probably could just squeeze the sides. I, I forget at this point which one it was, but it's either either or, and then you pull it toward you, and then this really satisfying way you can then just grab that object out of the air, uh, and, and that felt like something they had done a lot of work. So it's to, like to a tweak. It's like a mix of force pull and grabbing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 It doesn't like force pull and then pop up in your hand. Right, pull toward you, and then you pull out of the air, and that just felt really, really good. What if you don't pull it out of the air? Does it fall? I think it just falls. Yeah. Okay. I think, and then you can kind of sling it, you know, left and right. And again, right. A lot, there's a lot of math going on there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things are kind of, you know, it's, it's all about um, the intent of the user and trying to anticipate intent and design for intent. If you, the analogy is force powers, well, we literally had force powers in a game like Vader Immortal. And I had a chance to chat with their director about like, how they thought about force powers. And anyone who's play, played Vader Immortal, like, the force powers feel pretty good. And you can tell the ways that, in which they, they cheat a little bit, right? When you're grabbing rocks, they're coming at you, you kind of hold them in the air, and then you, you know, push them away, and they go kind of, they don't, they launch straight toward where you're, you're aiming at. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even like a little bit of auto aim to help you attack some of the enemies uh, because there's a lot of like that's what they feel like the player intends to do they don't want you to have all these fail states uh, here I felt like the physics felt really realistic but they also captured my intent in a way uh, which is really tough because it can't read my mind it's just it doesn't have reading my gestures yeah. and I don't think it's I don't know if they're like how much of the physical wrist fling and arm movement they're using and calculating to get that physics working. Like how much of that is actually being calculated in real time versus how much of that is being pre-done to make it feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. Like what, it's, it's, it's the balance between simulation and, and, um, and, and the, the arcade aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know what mechanics VR doesn't have that the developers wish it did. And I know you probably yeah. wouldn't even go there. But yeah. like now that, that Valve, which is like, you know, it's, it's the Cambridge of, of game developers in, in many respects. Like the, the best of the best are asked to work there. And these are exceptionally smart people who have now made their 
really their first full-fledged VR game, and they must have run into limitations. And I, w- I would love to know, what do they wish the next generation of hardware had uh, sure. to, to overcome yeah. that or to, that would lend themselves to better interactions? Yeah, and I think you know that is something that I'm sure they've they've thought about. Like the one yeah. other big takeaway from a developmental standpoint, uh, which doesn't give away anything, is that as kind of armchair, you know, critics and, and gamers, like we play a lot of VR and we make us assumptions about like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they did this or like, why didn't they do that? Like, it's became very clear chatting with them that they have actually thought through everything yeah. and they have made decisions for one reason or another um, and that stuff will all be revealed um, and a lot of that's tied to story and gameplay and you know and unpolished and you know they want to make something that's really fun and I think I'm comfortable saying that you know the experience I've had I felt really good coming out of it. Do you feel like being able to do this with the index uh, well, has a impact either on immersion or gameplay in the, in the, in the game what do you mean like uh like fingers out yeah being able to let go and not actually grip something oh not let go like not just the gesture because even right. if you have like oculus controllers you can like let go of the, the grip and your right. hands go out right yeah like that that is a gesture you can do but you mean like actually letting physically letting go of something that's one of the um, benefits of, of the index controllers is that they physically yeah. strap and hold onto your hand yeah, I, I would say, again, going back to the, the hardware comparisons, you know, like throwing a grenade, right? Yeah. We, we showed in the video, there are segments, of course, where you have a grenade. I would have thought that holding a Oculus controller, which I can just grab like right here, right, holding this and then letting go, even though not physically letting go of the grenade, like I could, or the controller, like I could on the index, wouldn't feel as good. That felt still felt great. It's something yeah. that anyone who's like kind of thrown a grenade in in VR using this controller, yeah. it felt just as good. Um, the, the example that people always go back to is like throwing a football, right? With the Valve Index controller, it's the wrong hand, but you know you can grip this and you can launch like that, mm-hmm. right? Sideways. Um, that's an action. I don't think. At least I don't think I've tried with the grenade. If I can remember. But um, like I, I, don't, I don't see games adopt. I haven't seen games really adopt that yet. Yeah, that the whole you know going going like that. You know, there's a lot of like that and a lot of like pushing out that way. Even with Echo uh, Arena, the yeah. advice that you get from the, the the players is to throw it like a ball, not like mm-hmm. a frisbee, because mm-hmm. that's how the physics works best. Yeah, and I, I think. Will's talked about this, like designing the intent of a throw. Yeah. The throws are so hard. And I don't know what VR needs to get that throw right. Is it skeletal modeling with machine learning? It needs a lot. It's a lot of trial and error. Maybe that's something that will be tuned over time for you. Everyone throws differently. (laughs) There's a general assumption for, you know, when people release, you know, how you fling, the pressure. Not something that index controllers do have, right? They have a pressure sensor uh, in in the grab parts. And I'm sure that information is really useful for the throw. Um, But going to uh, a controller that didn't have that, we still felt like throwing was super satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, my dream, and yeah. this, is, this is completely off base, like this will never happen, but my dream is that Valve and Oculus make friends. And Valve offer Oculus ha- Half-Life Alex to put on their own store. 
And well, in exchange, that's important though. And in exchange, Oculus gives them Asgard's Wrath and Stormlands, and mm. you know promises you know whatever what uh, Medal of Honor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just for the same reason that we started this discussion with, which is that like this industry just needs as much access to great games as possible and compatibility across platforms. Right. Uh, the fact that, that the Oculus stuff is locked down and the, the Valve stuff isn't, I think is a real statement on Valve's part. Yeah, I mean, technically you can, if you have a, a Rift or a Quest, you can play this no problem with SteamVR, just you wouldn't be able to download it through the Oculus storefront, right. which would be a place if, if Valve did support that, that would, they would have to again, go through that QA process. Those, you know, those, the, the gates there and the dev, you know, be treated as a developer for mm-hmm. pushing updates and that's extra resources, right? It's not just simple as like drag and drop. Here's all the files and let people buy and get them, let the money stuff sort itself out. That's a whole separate storefront to support. No, I think it would be less in less uh, income. You know, I think the fact that they're selling it on Steam only exclusively is probably yeah. the most the way to make the most money on it. But you know, it's not as good for the industry if people. You know, maybe some people don't have a Steam account. I know it's hard to imagine, but there are people right. at least on Oculus who would like the convenience of launching it and buying it through the store that's inside their headset. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you know, if if Oculus were to lend them two games that they don't currently have access to, you know, Asgard's Wrath, Stormlands. Um, that would be more money for Valve on, in that front if it was stolen Steam. I, it's just I, a pipe dream, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be good for the industry, and that's the kind of thing that, that I would love to see. And I think money is not the big issue here. Right? I think it's absolutely more about how many people end up getting, being able to play these games and being convinced because of the quality of these games that VR is worthwhile to yeah. invest in and both from a developer side, developer side and also from the consumer side, right? Like I, I think we've already seen the response for a lot of, uh, after the trailer came out, like the 10 million people have watched the uh, Alex trailer just on the Valve release of it on YouTube and a significant number of those people don't have VR headsets and we have seen people commenting like, what, what, which one should I buy? Yeah. You know, and I'm comfortable saying now that if you don't want to spend even $400 on an Oculus Quest with a USB cable, uh, and you have a gaming PC, you could spend under $200 on a Windows Fixed Reality headset and play this game. And I did not have a problem playing this game uh, with you know, the Samsung Odyssey Plus. Right? It looked fine. The tracking was good. You know, there were some things that you saw in the video I talked about in terms of the, the reloading and the, the, the trackers bumping into each other. But like, I don't think that's going to inhibit your enjoyment of being in this game um and and then hopefully that gets you into vr certainly windows mixed reality is the cheapest option um but yeah. you, to a certain degree you get what you pay for i i'm not a fan of those controllers at all mm-hmm. and i would definitely if you needed the lowest cost bang for your buck i would say the rift s personally um or, the, or maybe even a used rift right like an yeah. old CV1, because I, I was shocked. Like CV1 worked pretty well with this game. Like I, it, I didn't. It, it's been a little bit since I was using that as a, a regular headset, but you know, I was actually surprised. Ooh, this like this game looks good, and the headset's light. A lot of people uh, prefer the, the touch controllers, the original touch controllers, over the new ones because they're yeah, because the tracking is yeah underneath, and they're a little more robust. They're heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I know you prefer the Index. That's your favorite headset, and but it it's also. It's a thousand bucks. You know, that's it a is. major yeah. major commitment. Yeah. Um, also, you can mix and match, right? Like uh, there are things like if you can find a 
a Cosmos from the cheap, or yeah. if you invested on the Pimax, you can use NX controllers on that if you want that. Like, I think input in many ways is more important than the headset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even with like the base controllers, with the stock controllers, even with the Vive controllers, the standard HC Vive controllers, like I, I like there are things about that controller I like for this game, like the way you hold the pistol, uh, the pistol grip just feels more like you know a handle. Than yeah. it does on the the, the hand the uh, resting natural like resting hand pose of yeah. um, of the Rift controllers. Um, do, you, do you think that this is the the best uh, the PC industry can do in terms of putting forth the game? I mean, if you look on the console side, you might say, okay, yeah. we need a Mario game in VR for VR to succeed in the console yeah. world. But and as far as the PC goes, Half Life is one of the biggest names that we have. The only problem is that kids don't know it. Best is such a hard, like word to right as a qualifier. Yeah. Right? Best in terms of what best action game, best like end to end full featured. But I think my gut coming out of this is that when people see this, it won't feel like this is a a uh, experiment, a two hour tech demo. That'll feel like a full game. Uh, and there are a lot of people out there who like think this, like, oh, this is because they're not calling it Half-Life 3, because they're like yeah. kind of just calling this prequel thing, that it won't feel like a complete game. Like, I think people will be surprised and happy that this will feel like a complete-ass, complete game. Uh, whether it's the best for VR, like, it, I think it's going to live alongside things like, you know, um, uh, the PSVR's The Astrobot, right? Like yeah. Rescue Missions. Like, that is... A one great of the, thing, one of the best things for VR. One of the great right. VR games, yeah. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I have an incredible thing for VR. I have no doubt about that. I w- yeah. I'm just thinking purely in terms of IP. And yeah. I was wondering if there's any other PC-based IP that you could imagine that uh, would it be as enticing or perhaps even more. And I, maybe this, like Half-Life, I'm part of the Half-Life generation. So yeah. for me, like obviously, this is a huge deal. And right. I think the YouTube numbers speak for themselves. But I wonder if kids feel the same way, younger people. Well, I think that's, um, that's Minecraft, right? And that's, that's Microsoft. Like the opportunity right. is, is Minecraft in VR, which is there to various degrees of, of depth in VR. I think that, or if you want to go with something more mainstream, like what a League of Legends or Fortnite would be in VR. Um, but we know they're not going to do an exclusive VR Right, so maybe maybe it's StarCraft, maybe it's a strategy game. I, I have no idea. Yeah, um, and I, I think there's also you said PC game, but I think there's also a lot of people who think that maybe it's the console brand that needs to be in VR. Like if Microsoft took VR seriously and we saw a Halo in VR, right, that would move the needle. I think a lot. Right, right? but they're not doing that as far as we know with uh, Xbox Series X. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like the PSVR two will be ready when the PS five is, but. Um... I, that is definitely on my radar. I can't wait to see what Sony ends up pulling off. Right, and they have the just like Microsoft, they have their own first-party IP. And so, what would it be like? Would it be like God of War, VR, or you know, something that one of, from one of their studios? I, 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 I'm hoping for that too. Like, I love things like Blood and Truth, original IP stuff, Astrobot, original IP stuff, but something that uh, fans of with name those, recognition, yes, and then yeah. fans of those those platforms because there are Sony fans and Microsoft fans and Nintendo fans. Yeah, uh, they can then say, "Ooh, we have this thing that we can be proud of that you know, expands the world of this game that we love." I mean, to a lot of us, to to the PC gamers out there who are you know are of a certain age, a Half Life game in VR is akin to yeah. a to a Halo game in VR. Mm-hmm. 
to Xbox gamers. I mean, this this gets back to a lot of the people who are like, oh, but how am I supposed to play it? I don't have a VR headset. You know, that little bit of vitriol and rage. You know, we didn't hear that with Doom. Right? right. Doom, right? Doom Doom VFR right. was, again, a big property, and, and it had a big success in 2016 with that version of Doom, but it didn't move the needle for VR, I think, that it, it could have. Um, and, and that, I think, speaks to the brand recognition and how much people love Half-Life and how invested they are. You know, and, and, and you know, there are a ton of these comments that I, I will address a little bit because we see a lot of comments about, like, oh, uh, Boneworks, right? Boneworks just came out, and yeah. I think it's it's great in many ways. Uh, it obviously pushes the boundaries of VR with the physics and the kind of like full body interactions. Um, and a lot of people are like, "Oh man, this game Half Life Alex doesn't look like it's doing what Boneworks is doing, and it's not pushing the boundaries." But I don't think that's their goal either. And I think if Boneworks is going to succeed. That's fantastic. I think Valve would love for Boneworks to succeed. It's already sold, you know, in the Steam store. It looks like over 200,000 units. And Boneworks succeeding doesn't mean Half-Life Alex is going to lose. That, that's not, I don't think that's how anyone is looking at this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another option, another way for VR to be implemented. I do think, and I suspect, that there are some people miming and parroting those talking points who have not even played who haven't even used VR, who are just, like you said earlier, a little disappointed that uh, this game isn't being made for, for flat screens. Right. Yeah, there's people who imagine it will be. There's people who imagine a year from now, I'll play it when it comes out on flat screen. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine that being the case based on, yeah. based on what I played. Can you talk at all about the, the glove itself? It looks like there's a HUD that's represented on there. Yeah. What, can you talk about the information that that conveys? I don't think I can specifically. Okay. I think that that falls into the realm of content. Okay, I'll use my imagination. <laughs> um, what, what else can I say? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if we got it across in the video, mm-hmm. but the compatibility with the other headsets and the controllers isn't just a, a matter of like button remapping, right? It's not just like they look at the Vive controller and the Oculus controller and saying, okay, like, this, what was done on the index here is now done yeah. there. Like It does feel like there is some dev work being put in to make it feel good on those controllers. Well, the, touch pads, the touch pads, for instance, are vastly different on index than on Vive. Yeah. Um, so I, I imagine they had to do some real rethinking there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not one of those things. Like if they put it out and let the user base, because you can in Steam VR, just like release in Steam, right? Release just profiles. Yeah. And a lot of games just rely on the community to put that out. And, and maybe there'll be a profile out there, a tweaking of whatever Valve puts out that people will adopt and like even more. Uh, that's great. But it's like, it is the work. Like, you know, we brought, uh, the only thing I brought was the Franken Quest. Because I like that's one thing that they didn't have, and I wanted to for comfort see how long term play would be mm-hmm. on the quests with Link. But they have all the headsets; like they're definitely aware of all the input. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know a lot of people are asking, like, did I play at one forty four hertz? Uh, no, performance is something that we weren't there to evaluate, and it's something that I think happens in most games, kind of like as a final push, uh, and and so it played smoothly on the systems that we played on, uh, but we're not like, there to talk about, you know, by this system, 
by this computer graphics card or the CPU to play the game on. Uh, I think the, the min specs speak for themselves, um, and that's something that we'll hopefully be able to talk more about later on. Um, well, yeah, and we did it, shoot. Yeah, yeah, it's not ready. So I would, yeah. th- 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 as you said, they're yeah. still optimizing. So there's no point in evaluating that yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be a push past March. Is my I mean I could be wrong, but like. I think if I had enough time there, I like I, people have said like they've played through the full game. Like Jeff Keighley has played yeah. through the full game, and so like I can't imagine like at that point that it's like they're not reworking things. Not they're not being reactionary yeah. to things um, and changing like fundamental things about this game. Okay, and and what are the other two games they're working on? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have honestly no idea. Nope. Yeah. Was not shown anything. Can you believe that? I mean, if there anything uh, like this scope, I mean, that's that's a major investment yeah. in in VR and, and in in games again oh, yeah. in Valve, and I'm, yeah. that's that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully that's something that you know will be revealed with um, the Jeff Keighley uh, final hours of Half Life Alex yeah, series maybe. because they they specifically specifically talked in their interview about like talking about things they had worked on and then canceled because there were things that they have started and stopped for one reason or another. And that again shows the, the amount of thoughtfulness that them as game designers, because you know, the team fundamentally are game designers um, have put into this game and they wouldn't be, they, they're not putting this game out because like, this is the game that we started and ended up making. Like they're putting this game out because this is the game that they're happy with. And they get, they're happy with putting their brand on yeah. uh, Half-Life and, and Valve. I just um, finished the chapter in Adam's book about um, in, uh, iterating and, and creativity and, and realizing that if you're, dig- if you're digging up a T-Rex and you spend two years investing in digging up a T-Rex and all of your investors are expecting a T-Rex and you realize it's a Stegosaurus, yeah. do, you, do you have the guts to tell everybody it's a Stegosaurus? Right, and uh, I imagine that this project was full of that kind of thing, where you yeah. just have to discover what kind of game you're making. Well, thankfully they don't have investors, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have users, absolutely, and, and yeah. customers, uh, and and I think that the user base for VR, I'm I'm could not be happier with, with what I got to see. Not just because I got to see it, but because you know I also have high expectations right. for this. Uh, and. And the other pieces we shot, like there are there are interview pieces that will come out um, hopefully early next year um, that will dive deeper into some of the stuff. Uh, but I think that all lends me to believe that as they ramp up to to March, there will be a ramp up, and the other people will get a chance to play and talk about it. And I can't wait to share notes with those folks too. Cool. Yeah, I I can't wait to play it myself. I actually I listened to the video that you produced because I actually didn't want to see anything. Yeah, uh, I am. Yeah. Uh, I am carefully anticipating this game, <laughs> and I, I look forward to playing it for the fresh for the first time. I, I, I will have no problem when it comes out playing those three hours again. Yeah, it, there you go. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's part of the job. Uh, so I think that's it for the podcast. We've done about 30 minutes of The Rise of Skywalker, 30 minutes of Half-Life Alex. Uh, hopefully no big news breaks between now and the new year next five days uh but hope everyone out there listening you had a wonderful christmas or whatever you're celebrating happy holidays happy new year and i don't know if we'll actually get a chance to record an episode because next week is boxing day when the episode normally comes out or not boxing day sorry new year's day new year's day 
No, it's no. January second. It'll be like yep. right after, right after New Year. Uh, but we'll we'll definitely have episodes in the weeks following that. For that. I hope everybody enjoys the Rise of Skywalker as much as I did, and not as much as Kishore did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A nice poster there, Jeremy. That's a, that's a pretty that's a pretty sweet Ready Player One poster. Oh, dude, yeah, that was you're doing be a little bit of a, a poster flex. That was going to be in my favorite things, but then I felt like I'd just make everybody insanely jealous. Yeah, yeah, and plus I don't <laughs> think you want to transport that to the office. No. Yeah. All right. Um, hopefully we're crossing fingers that everything works in terms of recording, the video and the audio. And once again, happy new year. Thanks for listening. Thanks for enjoying our stuff. And we'll see you then. We have no outro. Proper lighting. Proper lighting and, and no outro. I got a Ooh, spotlight. There it goes. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Nicely uh, done. I, yeah. I, I, have, I don't think I can play an outro. Maybe so. I'll – I'm not going to make any promises. I got this episode processed. All right. All right. See you later. Happy New Year, everybody. Hi there, I didn't see you. It's January 10th, 2013. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Norman well, Joey is still at CES and Gary's out sick, so I'm going to do something a little unusual today. I'm here today to tell you guys, all by myself, for the next, you know, however long it takes, the truth about what I really think about CES. No one is talking about 3D anymore. No one is talking about 3D anymore. No one is talking about 3D anymore. No one. Slowly comfortable watching 3D in the theaters, or you know, even better, not at all. Good riddance, 3D. I bid you adieu. Smart TVs, on the other hand, don't seem to be going anywhere. No one is talking about 3D anymore. No one is talking about 3D anymore. No one is talking about 3D anymore. No one. 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 No one.